Blog Talk Radio. For the next hour and a half, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. You can have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgam, where you can listen to this show. You hit us up on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. And you can hit us up on this chat room here at blogtalkradio.com slash pgam. We can talk sports, have fun doing a great show lined up for you today. Expect to be joined by Hall of Famer Willie Rofe. And we're going to get Willie's take on, on the playoffs and the, the not only the divisional round, but also the championship round. And we'll see who goes on and we'll see who goes home. And we're going to talk to Willie about that. I guess also Peyton Manning. I mean, have we seen the last of Peyton Manning? I mean, he had the torn quad in that game, but he really didn't play good football. And ultimately, the Denver Broncos went home. But we're going to talk to Willie Rope about that. Also, Orlando Johnson of the Austin Spurs in the D-League. We're going to talk to him, get his thoughts. Um, we've got the D-League showcase uh, going on and get his thoughts on that and uh, see how he feels about it, you know, see how he feels about his opportunity and his chances to get to the next level, get to the NBA. So we're going to talk to Orlando about that. Willie Rove, Orlando Johnson, here on Go For It today. We've been going for a while. I mean, we haven't been back since the holidays. I mean, I had a few things going on, death in the family, things of that nature, but I'm back. We're back. We're talking sports. We're having fun doing it, and we're going to have a good old time. Let's start now. And as we go throughout this show, we'll talk about the Des Bryant catch. We'll talk about have we seen the end of Peyton Manning. We'll talk about Mayweather Pacquiao. Is it going to happen? Is it possible? We're going to talk about Tom Brady and the Patriots. And this Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. And we're going to talk about LeBron and that shove. And how about those Atlanta Hawks? Are they for real? Wow. They're, and here's the funny thing, not, you know, not to get off track, but I had Damari Carroll on this summer, Mike Scott on this summer as well. And, you know, those guys, and I asked Damari Carroll about, you know, the Hawks' possibilities and chances of, of being a, a team that you would have to reckon with, being a team that can compete. And, you know, he said and felt like that the Hawks could be a championship-caliber team. And, you know, at the time when he was saying it, you know, I just figured, you know, Obviously, what else is he going to say? He's got to say it. That's his team. If you don't believe that your team can win, then you don't need to be out on the basketball court. But he said he felt like the Hawks could win, the Hawks could compete and be a good basketball team. And, you know, at the time I thought he was crazy. But looking at it now, he was right. He was also right. The Hawks are playing some big-time basketball, and that's a team to be reckoned with. Let's let's start with Des Bryant. I mean, actually, I'm going to get to that in a moment, and I want to get to that. I can't wait to get that. But let's talk about this weekend, championship weekend in the National Football League. Always say the wild card round, the division round, 
or the best two rounds because you got the Saturday Sunday thing going on. But this week it's Sunday, and you know we're, we're going to work our way down to the Super Bowl. And now you look at these particular football games, and you know as I, I'm as I'm looking at these games, I'm, I'm trying to find ways to figure out okay, how can the Packers beat the Seahawks? How can the Colts beat the Patriots? And to me, the team that has a better chance in winning in someone else's building is the Colts. I mean, I don't think the Packers have a shot with Aaron Rodgers not being 100%. Aaron Rodgers was 100% week one. I know it was week one. It was many weeks ago, but he was 100%. And that's the Hawks defense got, you know, the best of them. Aaron Rodgers didn't even get over 200 yards. The Hawks defense dominated that particular football game. But again, that was many many moons ago, but that was a healthier Aaron Rodgers, and he's not that guy no more with that torn calf. He's limited. He is a limited player, and, and he gutted his way through that Cowboy game. He gutted his way through. Kudos to Aaron Rodgers and some of the throws that he made. I mean, some of the laser throws that he made that won to the end zone that, uh, that made it, that, that put him up. That was an amazing throw. He just turned, let it rip, threaded the needle, and a touchdown for the Green Bay Packers. I mean, that was impressive. I mean, he made some throws in that particular football game and it proved that he is the best quarterback in football. But they escaped. And the reality is the Green Bay Packers aren't going up against the Cowboy defense. They're going up against a much better defense, a defense that gets after the quarterback and a secondary that's ball hawking. And in a home place where the Seattle Seahawks are a totally different football team and a dominant football team, I actually believe and thought that the Cowboys had a better opportunity to beat the Seahawks in Seattle. And they did it during the regular season, but I just thought that Cowboy team was built to compete with the Seattle Seahawks, built in terms of their run game, built in terms of a big-time wide receiver, in terms of that offensive line. I thought they were built much better than the Packers are, especially with a hobble and broke down Aaron Rodgers. I, I thought the Cowboys were in a much better position to, to, to compete with the Seahawks and ultimately beat the Seahawks. I'm not saying they would have beat them. Let's say they would have competed with them. I, I'm tempted to believe that this is not even going to be a close football game. I, I just don't. I think Aaron Rodgers gave you his all in that game in the divisional round against the Cowboys. That he just let it hang out. He let it hang out in that particular game, and I think that was it. I think that was he. He didn't have any more to offer. I don't believe he has much more to offer. I don't think that calf is going to be better, and I think that Seahawks team is going to get after him the way they got after him week one, sacked him three times in that particular game, but held him in check and held that offense in check and a big-time offense nonetheless. I mean, that's a big-time offense. And he held him in check. That defense held him in check. Shut him down. And Aaron and, and Russell Wilson, I just don't – the way he's flowing right now, he's going to beat you with his arm. He's going to beat you with his feet. But at the end of the day, he's going to beat you. And I think he's going to beat – this, uh, the uh, Green Bay Packers, I just don't think they can compete without a healthy Aaron Rodgers. You, you just don't have your guy. Aaron Rodgers is your number one guy. He is your best football player. He is your quarterback, and he's not 100%. And because he's not 100%, I, I don't see how he gets it done. 
I, I just don't see how he gets it done. I don't see it. I don't see it. But it was, it was a blowout week one against the Green Bay Packers. First football game of the season. And beast mode, Marshawn Lynch went over 100 yards with two touchdowns. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, Russell Wilson, I should say, decent game, under 200 yards, but did have two touchdowns. I mean, it, the Seahawks played a beautiful football game. They played a beautiful football game. And ultimately, they blew this, uh, this, the Green Bay Packers out. And you were like, after that game, this team is going to repeat. And ultimately, throughout the course of the season, they had some hiccups. I mean, they had some hiccups. They had some hiccups in Kansas City. Dallas went to went to Seattle and beat them up. So they had some. They had their moments throughout the course of the season, but they kept pushing. They kept fighting. I mean, they had that stretch there in uh, October when they lost to Dallas and St. Louis back to back. And after that Kansas City game in Week 11, they took off and haven't lost since. And they became the dominant defensive football team that we all knew and that we all loved last season. I mean, they just started shutting teams down after that Kansas City game. That was the, the wake-up call, if you will, for the Seattle Seahawks. And in actuality, after week eight, they only lost one time. They only lost one time. So uh, they've been a dominant football team, 10-1 and one in the last 11 games for the Seattle Seahawks. So they've been dominant, absolutely dominant. I believe that domination continues against a hobbled Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And I think that's what's going to happen. We'll see. We'll see. But I, I, I just don't see Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. I, I, I don't see how Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to sustain and, and be upright and, and be okay against that defense. I don't see it. I don't see it. And it'll lead you to boom in that secondary. I don't see it. But we'll see. That's why you played the game. Let's go to Des Bryant now. And here's the thing. When, I, when I'm watching the game and uh, Des Bryant makes that catch, a heck of a catch. They said it wasn't a catch, but I'm calling it a catch. I don't care what they say. It's a catch. Des Bryant and, and that catch, that was a heck of a catch. I mean, he called it, switched hands, and lunged for the end zone. The NFL was saying, and, and Mike Pereira, Dean Blandino, Everybody in the league office is saying it wasn't a catch, and by the letter of the law, if they're saying that he didn't, that wasn't a football move and he stumbled, then it wasn't a catch. I mean, at the end of the day, the rule is the rule. But I, I don't – he caught the ball, took three steps, and as far as I'm concerned, he lunged. Gene Serator, the referee who, ironically enough, overturned the Calvin Johnson catch, and we all know about the Calvin Johnson rule, Gene Serator – said, you know what, it was not a catch. He said it to Calvin Johnson back in 2010, and he said it to Des Bryant in 2014, 2015 to be exact, but the 2014 season. And the reality is, when, when I first, when, and my, my initial thought is I saw the Packers challenging the play, and I'm saying to myself, why are they challenging this play? Because this is not going to get overturned. They're going to waste the timeout, and they're going to need their timeouts if they want to get the lead back. But the reality is, <clears throat> give Mike McCarthy kudos. He challenged it. And my initial thought is, I thought it was a catch, but I did see the ball pop up in the air. And then I saw the replay. 
And then I saw three steps. And then I saw what I thought was a football move, and Des Bryant diving for the end zone. The official said he stumbled. The rule is the rule. But my initial thought and my initial tweet was, I don't know what a catch is in 2015, because I don't. That looked like a catch. That looked like a catch. He took three steps, and as far as I'm concerned, he lunged and made a football move. You got the idiot proof the NFL rule book. Common sense has to prevail because common sense did not prevail in this particular instance. I mean, common sense tells you that that's a catch. Common sense tells you, as far as I'm concerned, that that was a football move. Common sense has to prevail in the National Football League. Idiot proof the rule book. Make it so that anybody can jump out on that football field or uh, officiate it. Obviously, you want the best of the best, the creme de la creme, but at the same time, idiot-proof the rule book. I don't know what rough in the passer looks like in the National Football League anymore. I don't know what pass interference looks like in the National Football League anymore. I don't know what these things look like. It's too complicated. It's too complex. It's hard to interpret. It's going to get to the point where we're going to be replaying personal foul calls and pass interference calls. As far as I'm concerned, it's simple. I, I think defensive holding should not be an automatic first down. Maybe you can up it up, up the penalty to 10 yards, but I don't think it should be an automatic first down. Because you're, you're talking about your third and 20, you get a defensive holding call for five yards, you have an automatic first down. No, let's change that. Let's change that. Let's make it so... Defensive holding is a 10-yard penalty. If it's a first, if that 10 yards equals a first down, then it's a first down. Because it's just, it's just too egregious. It's a five-yard penalty. Up at the 10 and just give them the yardage. Don't make it an automatic first down. The pass interference calls. It's just like you throw the ball up, and you should be throwing the ball up because a lot of good things could happen. A, you can catch it. Or B, you can get a pass interference call. So two good things can happen. Two good things. You got a 50-50 shot in terms of that. The other two bad things that could happen. Well, an incomplete pass, that's not really bad because you can get the, you got another play. More often than not, you got another play. Interception, of course. Yes, that could happen. You got a 66% chance, two out of three 66, 66, excuse me, can't even talk, a 66% chance for something good to happen. 66% is either going to be passive interference, it's going to be a catch, or it's going to be an interception. Incomplete pass is really sometimes not the end of the world. And so the reality is throw the football up and you might hit goal. But here's the thing, and here's how you can change all that too. Go to the college rule. Go to a college rule. 15 yards, automatic first down. I'm good with that. Because it's it, it just, because the game is called so close and so tight, you know, it, 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 just, it, it just sucks the life out of the game where, you know, some game-changing plays are, are, are being called by officials. I mean, 15-yard roughing the passer penalty. I don't know what that looks like now. 
I don't know what a really rough, rough, rough in the passer is. I don't know what that looks like. But 15 yards rough in the passer, that's a game changer. It's a game changer. Defensive holding when you're in a third and 25 is a game changer. Throwing the ball up from your 20 to the other team's 30 and you getting a pass interference call is a game changer. And I think these penalties now, they're too much of a game changer. And it's get to a point where you almost want to review everything. And we'll be there for four hours watching football. It'll be four-hour games. You remember many years ago, the NFL changed a lot of its rules to speed up the game. You know, they in terms of out of bounds. And if you get knocked out of bounds in the fourth quarter, the clock will still run. It'll stop for a little bit, but it's going to start running again. But unless it's under five minutes, that's when it starts to stop when you step out of bounds in the fourth quarter. So it, it was rules in place by the National Football League to speed up the game. But now you review turnovers, you review all scoring plays. So, it, it, it you know, you kind of nullify it on some level. I don't think anybody's complaining. Because the NFL is king, and a lot of people are watching week in and week out. A bunch of people are watching the National Football League, and it hasn't stopped even after all these rule changes, even after all the, the things that are going on in the National Football League, even when you don't even know what a penalty is anymore, even when you don't know what pass interference looks like, you don't know what roughing the passer looks like, you don't know what none of these things look like but here's also the thing could it be just karma <laughs> you know it all comes back and, and, and a lot of things in a lot of ways it all evens out green i mean the cowboys against the lions you know you had some questionable situations uh pettigrew and that play anthony hitchens should have been something sue was uh held on that fourth down play should have been something i mean you know, and then the Cowboys come back around. And here's the thing. It's kind of, I mean, the games are different in some respect, but similar in a lot of ways where the Detroit Lions in a lot of ways outplayed the Cowboys and probably should have walked home with that victory. You could say the same thing with the Cowboys against the Packers. They outplayed them. In the most pivotal moment in that particular football game, Cowboys up 14-7 to going uh, near the end of halftime. Well, it was near the end of the first half, I should say. And Dan Bailey had an opportunity to put the boys up 10. He misses that field goal. The Packers come right back down. They get three points. Instead of 17-7 to going into halftime, or even 17-10 to for that matter, it is 14-10. to It's a four-point game. And totally, you know, 17-7 to and 14-10 to are totally different. 17-10 to and 14-10 to is different as well. So it was a game changer, and that was one of the pivotal moments in that particular ball game. The Cowboys outplayed the Packers in that game. The Cowboys pretty much did everything home. They did pretty much everything but win the game, as far as I'm concerned. They did everything but win the game. And they have no one to – I mean, you can talk about the refs. You you can talk about that last call – and all the other good stuff. But at the end of the day, the NFL, and then no game comes down to one play. 
doesn't come down to one play. Was it a game changer? Of course, because obviously if it's roll to catch, he had the Cowboys have the ball, what, the two, one, two yard line with an opportunity to score and go right on in. Des Bryant was over 100 yards in that, I mean, not Des Bryant, DeMarco Mary was over 100 yards in that particular ball game. And, you know, they probably would have scored there. But it doesn't mean the game would have been over. Because the, uh, even if the Cowboys score, and let's just say they make the two-point conversion, still a three-point game, and the Packers would still have an opportunity to at least tie the game with a field goal, if not take the lead with the touchdown. So the game was still a, a game, and it was still, even if that, that play counts, there's still a lot of time in that game. About probably been about three minutes left in that game. Even if that game, even if that play counted, there would have still been time for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers to move the ball back down the field. But at the end of the day, it was a catch, as far as I'm concerned. It was a catch, and if that's not a catch, I don't really know what a catch is in the National Football League. But at the end of the day, the rule is the rule, and the rule says you have to maintain control going to the ground. They're saying that and if not, you have to be making a football move. Des Bryant, I thought, was making a football move. I thought he was lunging for the end zone. And I guess you can make the case that maybe he was stumbling. I guess you can make that case as well. I mean, because I, I was watching it again. I watched it again today, and I was thinking, I guess you can see a stumble there. But here's my thing. Here's my thing. I think it was so close that the ruling on the field should have stood. It, it, it was that close. I mean, it, it, the reality is when it comes to replay, it has to be indisputable evidence. And I, I think that evidence in terms of whether or not he was stumbling or making a football move is it, not indisputable. I don't, I, I don't think, you know, you can definitely question whether or not he was stumbling or whether or not he was diving. I think that could be questioned on some level. I think you can question that. And apparently, the, the, you know, Gene Serator said, no, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. And the Cowboys ultimately lose. They ultimately lose. And I said Serator is Gene Sterator. Sterator. But anyway, what a play. What a play. And, you know, you just hate to see officials. And I'm not saying the referees cost the Cowboys the game, but you just hate to see the officials, and you hate to see games come down to controversial calls. I mean, you know, we'll be talking about it for a long time. The tuck rule, we'll be talking about that, and Tom Brady. You know, common sense tells you that's a fumble. The rule book says otherwise. Common sense tells you Des Bryant was a catch. The rule book tells you otherwise. So there's there's so much common sense, and common sense at some point in time has to prevail. It, it just has to prevail. But it didn't in this particular instance, and because of that, the Dallas Cowboys go home. So what happens to the Cowboys now? I mean, Des Bryant, obviously, you're going to have to pay this man, whether it's a franchise tag or you get about $12 million, or whether it's a long-term deal, but you're going to eventually have to pay this man. He's a beast. He's one of the best wide receivers in football, and I think that catch, and I'm going to call it a catch, that catch proved and showed a lot of people. I mean, if you already didn't know, I mean, 16 touchdowns, he's a monster. You already knew. You already knew what Des Bryant is. But that catch was a special catch, and it was a special play, even though it was taken away. But that was a special play. 
Tony Romo threw it up to his big play guy, his best offensive player. I know DeMarco Murray led the league in rushing, but Des Bryant is their best offensive player. And the reality is if it comes down to Des or DeMarco, you got to choose Des over DeMarco. Yeah, the running back has been a position that's been so de- devalued over the years. And the reality is with that Cowboy offensive line, how good it's been this season, and it's a young offensive line, how good it can be moving forward. Maybe you can throw anybody back there. Joseph Randall, who's uh, a promising player. I think Joseph Randall's a, a promising player. But maybe a Joseph Randall, you can throw him back there. And who knows? You know, he can be a guy that, you know, you could use. He's a guy maybe who could take Des Bryant's spot. Not Des Bryant, DeMarco Murray's spot. Maybe. But I don't know. But the Cowboys... You know, obviously, DeMarco wants to get paid, and obviously, Dez wants to get paid. And maybe they're going to have to do some things with their cap space. Tony Roma, maybe you can talk to him. I know Brandon Carr has a lot of money as well. Maybe you can talk to a few people, try to make this happen. Because the Dallas Cowboys, it seems like possibly they have a 2000 version of the triplets. Dez is Irving, DeMarco is Emmett, and Romo, dare I say Aikman. <laughs> Romo had a very good year, a very good year. Cowboys as a whole had a very good year, and I think the Cowboys at the end of the day, you can't put your head down as you're the Dallas Cowboys because you had a heck of a season. You had a very, very good season. No doubt in my mind you had a very good season. You proved a lot of people wrong. No one expected the Dallas Cowboys to be in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. No one. There were a lot of people who didn't. I can't say no one because I had the Cowboys going to the playoffs. But no one expected this. And a lot of people, Eagles, Eagles, Eagles when it comes to NFC East. Chip Kelly, Nick Foles, LaShawn McCoy, Eagles, Eagles, Eagles in the NFC East. And that wasn't the case because the Dallas Cowboys proved and showed that they're a very good football team, a young football team, and a team that we're going to have to be worried about, a lot of people are going to have to be worried about for years, well, not necessarily years to come, but for the next couple of years or however long Tony Romo can stick around because, again, quarterbacks win in the National Football League. And Tony Romo has proven this season that you can win with him. You can most definitely win with Tony Romo. And I think, he, I think he's proven it in other seasons as well. I know he's had his hiccups, but at the end of the day, you can win with Tony Romo. He's one of the better quarterbacks what, top 10 if not top 15 quarterback in this league. You're not doing bad if Tony Romo is your quarterback. You're not. You're not at all being in a bad situation with Tony Romo as your quarterback. Actually, you're in a solid situation. You're in a very good situation in actuality with Tony Romo as your quarterback. You're in a very good situation. So if Tony Romo is your quarterback and the Cowboys – he is their quarterback. They're in good hands. Getting a little older. So at some point, you know, you got to break through with him. But you're in good hands if Tony Romo is your quarterback. 34 touchdowns. Nine inter, 34 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 113.2 QB rating. I mean, that's the best in football. That is the best in football. Again, you're not doing too bad if Tony Romo is your quarterback. He's a top 10 quarterback in this league. 34 touchdowns and only nine interceptions. Those are big-time numbers. 
those are upper echelon numbers. And this is a guy who was battling a back. He was battling a back injury, but he still put up those type numbers. So you're not doing too bad if Tony Romo is your quarterback. And the Cowboys are in good position with Tony Romo as their quarterback. Again, getting up there, getting up there in age, getting up there in age. But at the end of the day, he'll be 35 when the season starts. You're okay with it. If he can continue to play. I mean, the last few seasons Romo's had were good. I mean, his last few seasons have been pretty good. I mean, 2013, 31-10. last, And, of course, this season, 34-9. and you know, QB rating 113, QB rating a 96.7. And even in 2011, 31 and 10, and 2012, the interception numbers were up, but it's still a 90 QB rating. I mean, it's solid. Almost 5,000 yards in 2012. You're not in bad shape with Tony Romo as your quarterback. You're not. Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. And, you know, I I remember when, when he broke – the TD record and, and you're just hearing people talking about goat, 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 greatest of all time, Peyton Manning. He's the goat. And I'm saying to myself at the time, have you forgot about Tom Brady? Have you forgot about Joe Montana? Have you even forgot about John Elway, Dan Marino? Have you forgot about those guys? And I think Peyton is higher than Dan Marino. I do all the time. I do. I do. But at the same time, this is a guy who the, the, the knock on Peyton Manning is great in the regular season, bad in the postseason. And obviously, he's a sub-500 in the postseason. Sub-500 quarterback in the postseason. So he's a totally different dude in the postseason. He is. And obviously, last week was a struggle. The quad, the torn quad, that was a struggle. The thigh injury, that was a struggle. But just looking at his performance last week, and, you know, maybe injuries have something to do with it. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's a combination of them both. But he'll be 39 years old when next season starts. Can you still win with a Peyton Manning as your quarterback? I I felt, and always, I said last year, I said at the beginning of the season, I don't think the Broncos will win a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. I don't think Peyton Manning will win another Super Bowl. Do I say it's impossible? Of course, nothing's impossible. Do I think you can still win with Peyton Manning? Sure, you can win with Peyton Manning. Can it, could you win a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure because this is a guy in the playoffs, and the playoffs come, he's a totally different dude. He's a totally different guy when the playoffs come around. Interesting number. Since winning the Super Bowl following the 2006 season, Peyton Manning is just 4-7 and seven in the postseason. That's the third most starts by QB, but tied for the eighth most wins among other QBs with four postseason wins in that time. Mark Sanchez. So it shows you that, A, he gets to the playoffs, but B, he loses in the playoffs. Peyton Manning has lost nine times in his team's opening game of the postseason. That's more than twice as many such losses as any other quarterback in the Super Bowl era, 1960s. 
66. Wow. 49 years. That's a mighty long time. And I think all these things are showing and telling us that this guy is a totally different quarterback in the playoffs for whatever reason. He's not like his brother, Eli, in, in the playoffs. He's not like Eli in the playoffs. He's just not. And that game, it was just, Peyton was bad. Overthrowing guys, left and right, just not making the throws. And obviously, that one play where he had all that field in front of him. And looking back on it now, now that we know that the quad wasn't there and wasn't 100% and where it wasn't where it needed to be, you can understand why he made the throw instead of running for that first down. You can understand that now. You get it now. Took some time, but you get it now. You get it now. But Peyton Manning wasn't good. I mean, look at the numbers. He was 6 for 21 for 107 yards on throws deeper than 5 yards. Only two quarterbacks in the last nine seasons posted a lower completion percentage in a playoff game. Guys like Jay Cutler, guys like Matt Castle. Obviously, these are guys who couldn't hold Peyton Manning's jockstrap. But at the same time, in the postseason, he's a totally different dude. 11-13 and 13 in the postseason as a starting quarterback. That, my friend, is not getting it done. It's not. You're not getting it done when you're a sub-500 quarterback in the postseason. You're not getting it done when you lose nine times in the opening game in the postseason. You're not getting it done when you're 4-7 and seven since 2006 in the postseason. You're not. You're not getting it done. You're not getting it done. When your team is three and four in games, which your team is favored by a touchdown or more, you have a losing record in the playoffs. You're three and four. That's not getting it done. And obviously the Denver Broncos, they limped into these playoffs. They limped. They didn't sprint into these playoffs. They limped. Their quarterback limped into these playoffs. Limping. Literally and figuratively, they limped into these playoffs. The quarterback limped into these playoffs. The team limped into these playoffs. So it's really not much of a surprise that Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos are home. That's really not much of a surprise. I mean, you can't say you're surprised when when the way they struggled near the end of the regular season. And I know they went 5-1 and one to end the regular season. I get it. But your quarterback was struggling. Your quarterback was struggling. And no more was he struggling than it was in that game against the Cincinnati Bengals. That game showed you the struggle of Peyton Manning. 
four picks. Not very good. And so you can't be surprised by what we saw in the opening round of the playoffs against the Indianapolis Colts. You can't be surprised. If you're surprised, then you're just surprised. But, I mean, he just wasn't the same guy. You wonder if he'll ever be the same guy because Father Time catches up to everybody, and Peyton Manning will be 39 years old when the season starts next year. He'll be 39 years old in his 18th season. So how much does he have left? Kobe Bryant's trying to fight Father Time. Losing. Well, not necessarily losing. He's winning. But as a team, he's losing. Father Time catches up to everybody. And in some respect, you can argue at this point in time, I know injuries caught up to Peyton Manning, for sure. Injuries definitely caught up to him. But part of that could be Father Time catching up to the great Peyton Manning. It's okay. Because Father Time catches up to everyone. Catches up to everybody. And at some point, it would catch up to the great Peyton Manning. Charles Barkley always has once said it and said it many times that Father Time is undefeated. Father Time has never lost. Father Time wins all the time. And so Father Time is beating Peyton Manning. He's beating Peyton Manning right now. And, again, I'm one of these guys who said that the, 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 the Broncos' best opportunity to win a Super Bowl was Peyton Manning's first year. And here's the thing. You, 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 look about, you look at life and you look at life and you look at opportunities. And the Broncos had an opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning's first year, 2012, home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and Raheem Moore lets a 70-yard bomb, get, let, lets Jacoby Jones get behind him and beat him with a 70-yard bomb. And then Peyton Manning throws a pick in overtime. You can't let those opportunities pass you by. 2013, Peyton Manning throws for 55 touchdowns. 55 touchdowns to only 10 interceptions. You cannot let that type of season go by without winning something. And they lose in the Super Bowl. This time around. Uh, was, did anybody really think the Broncos Broncos really weren't the favorite coming into these playoffs? But you have a home playoff game in your building, and you come out, and your quarterback, the great Peyton Manning, stinks to join up, plays bad, injured, and ultimately you lose that game and lose again. Peyton Manning loses again in the playoffs, in the first round. My point is, you cannot continue to let these opportunities pass you by without winning something. He's, 30, he's going to be 39 years old. 39 years old. And then you look at, and when I say, talk about the Broncos, I even think about the 49ers and the success they had the first three years under Jim Harbaugh, where you lose to the Giants in that particular game, in the NFC Championship game. Kyle Williams puts the ball on the turf, and ultimately you lose that game. 
Then the year, the next year, you finally break through with Colin Kaepernick. You get to the Super Bowl. You, you start off slow. You end strong. But ultimately, you get stopped at the goal line around the five-yard line by the Ravens defense. Then you come back the following year, and Richard Sherman makes a great play, tips the ball away, Michael Smith intercepts it, and that's the ball game. The reality is you cannot continue to, to, to you continue to put yourself in position to win, but at some point in time you got to break through. And I'm looking at the Broncos, and I'm looking at the 49ers, and I'm looking at teams who had three-year runs where they should have broke through. Each of those teams got to the Super Bowl once. But at the end of the day, the 49ers couldn't break through. The Denver Broncos couldn't break through. They didn't break through. I'm saying at this point in time, it's my opinion that Peyton Manning, you know, you you come back with that surgically repaired neck, you get yourself back on the football field, you're competitive, you're competing, you're putting up big-time numbers, you're winning in the regular season, you're making things happen. But at some point in time, at some point in time, with that neck being what it is, with his age being 39, at some point in time you have to think about tomorrow. And even though Peyton Manning had another stellar season, even though the numbers still look good, even though 39 touchdowns to only 15 interceptions still looks good, 4,700 yards still looks good, 101 QB rating still looks good. All these things still look good. But at the end of the day, 36, was it 36, 37, 38? Each of the three years started out 36 with the Broncos, 37 in 2013, 38 in 2014, 39 in 2015. If he comes back, how long? Are, are you, in some respect, testing fate? Are you testing fate? You came back from a, a serious neck injury. Kudos to you. Kudos to you. But you came back from it. And you weren't, you weren't, I guess physically you really weren't the same player, but you reinvented yourself. And you were able to still put up numbers and able to be successful. But you weren't able to break through. And I think at this point in time, the Broncos, they're almost like the 49ers in some respect. You know, a three-year run. A lot of success in that three-year run. But at the end, the coach who was responsible for that three-year run is gone. Both coaches, John Fox, on his way to Chicago. And you can't go wrong with John Fox as your coach. You can't go wrong with John Fox as your coach because each and every place that John Fox has went. John Fox has won. He's a winner. He's a flat-out winner in this league. He's won a lot, whether with the Carolina Panthers and getting them to the Super Bowl, 
He's won. He's been very successful. So you can't go wrong with John Fox as your coach, and that's not a bad hire for the Chicago Bears. At the end of the day, Jim Harbaugh goes, John Fox goes. That three-year run, that three-year window, that three years of success could not continue. It didn't continue. And at the end of the day, changes were made. And you wonder what's going to happen moving forward. Hello, you're on Go For It. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of shocked because I don't think it's father time. I, I think it's just a repeat of history. I mean, that, that, that's Peyton Manning his whole career. He gets to the playoffs and he loses except one year. So I bet I mean, you for I don't you're right. I mean, it is, it, this is a continuation of what we see now. Peyton Manning, 11 and 13 in the playoffs, nine times one and done, losing one and done. Right. I mean, so this, this and, is. And, and after respect, one and done almost every time, the next day, they say, oh, Peyton Manning had a bad shoulder. Peyton Manning had bad ribs. Peyton Manning had a bad quad. Peyton Manning had a bad excuse after excuse after excuse. But the truth is. He's just not good in prime time. He's not good in the playoffs, and he's not good in cold weather. Uh, and here's the thing. Peyton Manning is a very successful regular season quarterback. Peyton Manning in a regular season is something special. And, and somehow, some way, he's like the opposite of his brother. Eli, you know, you, you, you see Eli, and you're like, wow, how's this guy? How did he win, for, how'd he win two Super Bowls? You, you look at him sometimes, you wonder how he won only two Super Bowls, and then you look at Peyton, and you wonder, how come he's only won one Super Bowl? Right. I mean, because obviously Peyton is the better quarterback, but Eli is, more, is a lot more, when it comes to the playoffs, Eli is a clutch guy. He's a clutch dude, and he does but some clutch But not only that, things. look at the teams. Look at the teams that they beat to win the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning beat a, 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 a average at best Chicago team, and, and his little brother beat one of the greatest teams of all time that didn't lose one game in the regular season and ran through the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl. And they blew teams out to get there. For sure. For sure. I mean, I I can't argue with you at the end of the day. Peyton Manning, in a lot of ways, Peyton Manning has been Peyton Manning in the playoffs. And he was Peyton Manning again in the playoffs. And at some point, Father Time wins all the time. And no one beats Father Time. He's going to be 39 years old. And I think it's time for Peyton Manning to move on. I don't think he's, – he's accomplished a lot. He's accomplished enough. And at the end of the day, with that type of neck injury that he had, are you testing fate on some level? And I believe you possibly could be testing fate. So I believe it's best for Peyton Manning to move on. I agree. Thank you for I your agree. call. I think Thank you. I, I think it's best for Peyton, for Peyton Manning to move on. And, and that just – you know, a lot of people might not want to hear that. That, that, that might not be the thing you want to hear. Time for Peyton Manning to move on. It, it, it's time for Peyton Manning to retire. I think it is. I really do. Because, again, at some point, you test fate with that type of neck injury. At some point, you, 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 anything is possible. Football is a brutal, vicious sport. It's a brutal, vicious sport. And at the end of the day, the brutality 
the viciousness of the sport, anything is possible. 39 years old. It was a thigh. It was a quad. And and that's what you see with this when when you start getting old. You look at Kobe Bryant. You know, you, you, all this, he's resting. He's, he's sitting out games because of rest. Not because of injury. He's resting. And, and Charles Barkley said it best when you're a guy, when you're, when you got, um, when you when the best player on your team is 36 years old, you got problems, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers. They have problems. They have a lot of problems. But that's not the only team that has problems in the National Basketball Association. Cleveland Cavaliers. Before last night, they were a sub 500 team. Cleveland, sub 500. LeBron, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving. Tristan Thompson, now J.R. Smith and Amon Shumpert. I mean, you were a sub-500 team until last night. And if you were in the Western Conference, you'd be on the outside looking in. You'd be on the outside looking in if you were in the Western Conference. I mean, I don't think, you know, not everybody expected Cleveland to win the title this year. Heck, LeBron said in this letter, the letter that he said that he was coming home, he said that he didn't expect necessarily for his team to win it be a championship t- caliber team this season. He said it. Coming into this year, he said it. Those were his words. We're not there yet. And But when you get a guy like Kevin Love, you, get a, you have a guy like Kyrie Irving, you expect a team to be better than 20 and 20. I know Anderson Verichau's out, and that's a big loss. He's a solid big. He defends. He rebounds. He does all the dirty work. Now you're trying to bring in Timothy Mozkov, Timothy Mozkov. You bring him in. You want to say Timothy so bad, but you bring in Mozkov to help you out solidify your front court. We'll see if he helps. We'll see if Moskov helps, but you bring him in to help solidify some things, to help, you know, make things better because you lost Anderson Verizal. But they're 20 and 20, and obviously there's no team in each conference that wants to see the Cavaliers in the first round. And if that, the playoffs were to start today, it would be the Toronto Raptors and the Cavaliers in the first round. But the way the Cavaliers are going, the way they're going, and, and at some point, something's got to click. I'm, slapping, I'm, I'm snapping my finger. At some point, the light has to turn on. At some point, something has to happen. Something has to happen. And Miami that first year, at some point, even all, even after they got off to a bad start, even after LeBron bumping Spolster and all the other stuff, the light clicked, and they rolled. Ultimately, they lost in the finals, but they rolled. The light has to click for the Cavaliers, and I know LeBron has set out some games, and they were uh, they were a totally different team without LeBron James, obviously. I mean, heck, they lost to the Philadelphia 76ers. So that tells you all you need to know when it comes 
to talking about the Cavaliers and how much they struggled without LeBron James. But without LeBron, they struggled, and they struggled mightily. I mean, they all just snapped a six-game losing streak last night. Snapped a six-game losing streak. But Cleveland has to turn this thing around. And, you know, it's time at some point for you to snap those fingers and get going. 42 games left. When are the Cavaliers going to turn this thing on and start being the team that we thought they possibly could be? Or is it a case where the Cavaliers are who they are? And with that being said, maybe who they are at this point in time is a team that no one wants to face, a team that's going to be a tough out, but a team at the end of the day that's not good enough to make noise in the Eastern Conference, not good enough to move forward and have success in the playoffs. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks have a better record than the Cleveland Cavaliers, and if you would have told people that after 40 games that the Milwaukee Bucks would have a better record than the Cavaliers, I think a lot of people would slap you in the face and say you were crazy. Well, you can even say that about the Atlanta Hawks, who are 31-8. and eight. That was totally, that's totally unexpected. I mean, and, and you have it every year in the National Basketball Association where you have those teams that come out of nowhere. Last year, you had the Phoenix Suns, who came out of nowhere and, and was a surprise and, 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 you know, made strides and almost made the playoffs. You had the Charlotte Bobcats, who are now the Hornets, who, made strides last year, surprised some people, ultimately made the playoffs. So you're going to have that. And I look at the National Basketball Association at this point in time, and, you know, 40 games into the year, you kind of – I'm not saying you have your MVP, but you, you start picking out favorites, and you're looking at now and, what, John Wall Washington, MVP, an MVP candidate, I guess you can make the argument for Kyle Lowry, Golden State, Steph Curry, Marcus Saul, and Memphis, James Harden, and Houston. And that's about it. I mean, you got Harden, you got Curry, I guess LaMarcus Aldridge, you can throw him into the conversation. Marcus Saul, I mean, Lowry. John Wall. I mean, those are because you look at the MVP usually. Here's when you're looking at the MVP, you go to the team who won the top records. That's where you immediately go. So you look in the Eastern Conference, the team with the best records, the Atlanta Hawks. Can you really take an MVP candidate off that roster? Jeff Teague has been good. I mean, Hell Horford's been good. But none of those guys have been great, but they are a team. They are a team. So, obviously, you're not taking anything off of those rosters, off of that roster in terms of MVP. So, you go to the second-best team in the Eastern Conference, and you go to the Washington Wizards, and you look go to John Wall, and you look at the type of season he's having, the type of numbers he's putting up, and the type of success the Wizards team is having. And you say, well... He's an MVP candidate, for sure. 
17 points a game, 10 assists, a double-double guy. So he's an MVP candidate. He's a guy you have to look at in terms of MVP this season. You go to Toronto, I guess. You look at a Kyle Lowry, and you look at his numbers, and you say to yourself, are those numbers MVP caliber numbers when it comes to Kyle Lowry and his numbers? Do you say the type of numbers he's putting up, 20 points, 7 assists, 20 points and almost 8 assists a game for Kyle Lowry, pretty good numbers. I guess MVP caliber numbers, and plus you also have to look at the success of the basketball team and you look at the success of the Toronto Raptors, and there's a lot of it, 26-12. and 12. You go now to the fourth spot in the Eastern Conference. You look around, the Chicago Bulls. I mean, Pau Gasol's playing some pretty good basketball right now, playing some really, really good, some, some really good basketball, 18-11. and 11. Jimmy Butler, of course, struggled a little bit of late, but gotten off to a great start, averaging 20 points a game. I don't really see an MVP in the Chicago Bulls. So if I'm looking at, from an Eastern Conference standpoint, I'm looking at Wall, I'm looking at Lowry. If I go out West, I look at the Golden State Warriors, I look at Steph Curry, I look at the Portland Trailblazers, I look at LaMarcus Aldridge and the type of numbers he's putting up for the Blazers. And the Blazers, the second-best record in the Western Conference, a team that's playing some big-time basketball. LaMarcus Aldridge, 22-7. and Dame Lillard, 22-6. and six. I mean, so I guess you can look at those two boys and say, okay, so, so far we've got Steph Curry. He's putting up a, he's having a big-time season. The Warriors, man, they're just blowing people out, smoking people out there in Golden State. But Portland, Golden State, you look at Memphis, Marcus Gasol, Houston, you look at James Harden. Everybody else is everybody else. But yeah, that, that's what you're looking at. When you're looking at the MVP and who is going to win the MVP, is so wide open. So wide open. But the, the names that we're used to hearing, the Kevin Durant and the LeBron James, we're not hearing them this year. Part of the reason is Durant missed some time with the foot. His team has struggled. Part of the reason is LeBron missed some time with the back and the knee, and his team has struggled. But the, the names that you usually go to, the go-to names, Durant, LeBron, those are the names you go to in terms of MVPs, maybe even CP3. This season, totally different, different names. The cast of characters have changed. The names have changed. A lot of things have changed. Who's going to win the MVP is so wide open. I don't know. Heck, at this point, Who's going to win the title? I mean, it's so wide open. And I I said that when the big three disbanded in Miami. Well, I said that opened it up for a lot of teams. And it has done that. It has done that. The Atlanta Hawks, I mean, a team that, you know, everybody, five players in their starting lineup, each of those five players averages in double figures. So everybody is contributing to the cause. Everybody is making it happen. How about Kyle Korver shooting lights out from downtown? Downtown Kyle Korver is just getting it done. 50% from downtown, that doesn't happen. That does not happen. And Kyle Korver is just stroking it. 
and that stroke is sweet. I mean, Kyle, is there a stroke sweeter than Kyle Corver's? I mean, is there a stroke sweeter than that? That that stroke is sweeter than cotton candy. I mean, that is sweet. It is the one of the sweetest strokes you'll ever see. It's a sweet stroke, and he's stroking it, and stroking it, and stroking it. I mean, he's just stroking it from downtown. Lights out, and it's just wet. Ugh, 52.5 from three-point range. Are you serious? Are you serious? That's just unheard of from downtown. 52.5. That's Kyle Korver, and that's the type of season he's having. Kyle Korver for MVP? I don't think so, but Kyle Korver is having a great season. Great season. Great season, a big-time season, getting it done and and just putting up big-time numbers for the Atlanta Hawks. And the Atlanta Hawks are really, really big-time. Let's bring in a guy who's been big-time throughout the course of his Hall of Fame career, a guy who's gotten it done, Hall of Famer Willie Rofe. Willie! Thank you for having me. How you doing, Paul? How are you? Good. Willie, let's get right down to it. I want to get your thoughts on Des Bryant and that catch. Uh, what, it, when you saw the play, what was your initial thought? Uh, I thought the Cowboys got robbed. Des Bryant has, has been uh, getting better and better every year. You know, he plays hard. He's a team player. You can tell he cares. And, uh uh, on the fourth down play, for him to go up and make that that catch and then come down, make two steps, and then, you know, the fact that he came down with the ball and, and was moving with the ball before it popped out, it wasn't like he, he, he caught the ball, came down, and didn't have full momentum. He caught the ball, came down, made two steps and lunged towards the end zone, and then the ball came out. So that has to be called a catch. And, you know, my initial thought was I don't even know what a catch in the National Football League looks like anymore because if that's not a catch, then I, then I, don't, I know the rules of the rules. And basically the way they're interpreting is that he didn't lunge, but he stumbled. And, you know, when he stumbled and lost the ball, where they're saying he did not make a football move. Well, he wasn't was stumbling. He was, moving, he was moving forward trying to get to the end zone. Exactly. I totally agree. He caught the ball. He, he took three steps. And that third step, he lunged. And it was – I, I don't know. I mean, but I don't know what a catch is in the NFL anymore, but that's karma in some respects. Because yeah, well, 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 we talk, while you were talking about the Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks, uh, let's give credit to Danny Ferry, who who was the GM when uh, LeBron got to Cleveland. And, uh, you know, you look at what he did in Cleveland when they had those a few years where they won 60 games with a roster you wouldn't think they wouldn't have won. I mean, LeBron can say what he wants right now, but his supporting cast is way better than his supporting cast was when he first got drafted. I mean, he had Mo, Mo Williams, who had 50 the other night, good basketball player undersized, and he had, you know, some guys you probably never heard of, but they put together 60-win seasons a few years in a row. Now, I understand they caught up with him in play, playoffs, but what, what they're doing in, in Atlanta with their roster and the way those guys are playing together is uh is something special, and it's, it's it's fun to watch a team with not the biggest salary 
salary cap and not the guys making all the money. And to see those guys play the way they do it night in and night out and play hard. And then you watch these guys. I don't want to talk about calling anybody out, but you look at the Knicks and you got these guys making a whole bunch of money, and it doesn't seem like these guys care. So, you know, I mean, the bottom line is you still have to have to have that effort and attitude and come with that tenacity regardless who's on the roster, and it's got to mean something to you uh, for it to be special, and you can tell it means something to them. And maybe the Hawks could be like the 2004 Pistons and a team that won as a team. Who knows? We'll see what happens. A lot of basketball to be played, but the Atlanta Hawks are off to a surprising and a great start. And, and kudos, like you said, to Danny Ferry and Coach uh, Mike Budenhauser for, for doing a great job with that particular team. Paul, Paul Millsap, Paul Millsap Louisiana Tech product. <laughs> Led the nation in three rebounding three years in a row in college. I just want to throw that in there too, Paul. <laughs> let's get down to let's go to Peyton Manning now. I mean, Peyton Manning goes out for the ninth time in the first round, the first time, first game, one and done for Peyton Manning for the ninth time. Peyton Manning eleven to thirteen in the playoffs. Peyton Manning is about to be thirty nine years old. Peyton Manning who struggled near the end of the season with a thigh injury and a torn quad. Is Peyton Manning done? I mean, not done, but at this point. Is Peyton Manning almost testing fate, meaning with the neck injury, he's about to be 39 years old. You know, father time seems to be catching up with him with the injuries and everything. Is it time for Peyton Manning to move on? You know, I, I think, you know, father, nutrition catches up with everybody. Obviously his body's, uh, you know, once you start getting these different little injuries and they, you know, they, they add up and add up and add up. And uh, I just think I just think that he uh, – you know, I mean, maybe he wants to play another year, but you know, when you start doing a coaching change, and now you got, you know, you 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 going through a coaching change and everything, you know, I mean, do you want to go through that at 39 years old, 40 years old? You know, I understand he wants a chance to get another ring, but he did get one, and he's had a great career. I mean, if you look at uh, Tom Brady, what he's doing, and he's been to five Super Bowls, I think he broke Joe Montana's record for TD passes. Uh, in the in the playoffs, uh, I don't see how you could put Peyton Manning ahead of Tom Brady on the all-time list. I just you know Peyton Manning has been a great regular season quarterback. We talked about this, Paul. We discussed this, but how can you put Peyton Manning ahead of Tom Brady all time? I, I can't do it. I don't know how you do it. You can't when you're 11 and 13 in the playoffs. You can't when you have nine first-round exits. You can't. You, you can't when you are a totally different guy in the playoffs than you are in the regular season. You cannot put him over Tom Brady. You just can't. And I just, again, you, you look at it and, you know, that season last year where you put up 55 touchdowns and you have an, a remarkable, incredible season, at some point you've got to break through. And, you know, the Broncos had three years and three opportunities to break through. And Peyton Manning at this point is going to be 39 years old. And like you said, when those injuries start to, you know, those nicks and, uh, you know, they start adding it up, adding up at some point. At some point, Father Time is going to catch up to you. And I think, at some, in reality, I think Father Time has caught up to Peyton Manning. And I know the numbers are great. And I know uh, the stats are good. And I know the team has gotten to the playoffs. But you haven't gotten to where you needed to get to. And you haven't won when you needed to want, win. So I, I just think at this point it's time for Peyton Manning to move on. There's really nothing else to prove. I think at the end of the day, with that next situation, and I know it's been it's stood up and it's been fine, but at some point you're almost well. well and, and, you know, uh, I've been privileged to be around Peyton's father. Uh, 
lot the last year, year or two, and uh, I can tell you this, he's had back surgery. He's had a, had a, uh, a plate put in his neck because uh, his balance is a little off. And if uh, Peyton is smart, he better be looking at, you know, his dad and what his dad, I know his dad took a beating back in the day when he didn't have a very, very good team. But, uh, you know, right now his dad's going through a lot. And, uh, you know, Archie is a wonderful man, a wonderful per- person. But, you know, you have to feel for him when you see what the game did to him and uh, what's happening. And uh, I will say this, uh, I don't think financially any guy that come, has come through this league, um, it might be a handful that have done better than Peyton Manning. We know about the proper jobs, the investments he's made, and, and uh, you know, Peyton's not going to have to worry about doing anything. I can tell you that. And he'll probably end up in, in the front office for a team here in the near future. But uh, I think Peyton is uh, doing pretty well financially. I don't think uh, money's going to be an issue. So, you know, he's already, you know, going down as one of the greatest in history already. But uh, even if he went and got a ring, Paul, I don't think it changes where I put him as far as in the pecking order. Because, you, I mean, you know, one or two more years, even if you break Brett Favre's record, isn't going to change his playoff record. Isn't going to change some of the other stuff. So, you know, they went out and put all that money into the defense, and uh, those guys played a good, little bit better. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I mean, he got all played by uh, the heir apparent that took over his job in Indy. You know, and it'd be, it'd be funny if, if, if it ended like that, but he got all played by a younger uh, quarterback for the uh, Andrew Luck in that playoff game, and that was the difference in the game. We're talking to Hall of Famer Willie Ruff. Now, Willie, let's go to this weekend. Obviously, now you have Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers struggling with that calf injury, going to Seattle and facing the Seattle Seahawks. I, I just think, personally, you know, Aaron Rodgers did what he could. He gutted his way through that game. But I don't think he can gut his way through this game, especially with that Seahawks defense to lead you to boom in that secondary. This is a totally different animal defensively for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I don't see the Packers winning this game. Do you see it any differently? You know what? I, didn't, I, I, was, I was leaning towards Seattle, but, you know, this is personal. You know, these guys don't like each other. And I think Seattle kind of went out and was and golden and doing something early in the year when they had that big win. I think uh, I think Green Bay is going to come out and play hard. I'm not saying they're going to win. I think it's going to be real close. I don't think it's going to be seven points or more for the victory, whoever wins the game. But uh, I think Green Bay is taking this kind of personal because uh, Seattle put it on them pretty good in the first game. And Seattle seems to be a little team kind of similar to, to – uh, uh, Pete Carroll's team that were at USC, cocky, little arrogant. Mm-hmm. You know, the coach seems like he's a little cocky, little arrogant. They like to run it up on you a little bit. You see them smile and they're laughing over there. Mm-hmm. You know, the fans get into it. Uh, I think Green Bay is going up there with a chip on his shoulder. So, uh, you know, Green, I mean, and, and in Seattle, it looked very good times. When you, when, 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 when you put, when they went to San Diego, when you make Richard Sermon, put him in motion, when you put a receiver in this position and run him across, and, so, and he's not just running up the field, and you make Sherman have to do stuff that he doesn't like doing, I mean, I mean, he got exposed a couple times this year. So if I'm them, I'm watching film on that. And if he, I don't know if you remember that, Paul, but Richard Sherman had a few weeks stretch where they were getting out them pretty good. He did, he did. But here's, here's the thing. Game one, when these two teams played, Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's big time 100%. And he only had 189 yards, and it was a blowout, and the Seattle Seahawks dominated that football game. 
actually think the Seattle Seahawks defense is better at this point in time. They're playing better. Russell Wilson is making plays with his feet, making plays with his legs. I, I just and you know they're at home. I just like the way Seattle's playing right now. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, Paul, but that's week one. This is playoff time. But he's he's a lot more comfortable in the system. His receivers are a lot more comfortable. They don't go to training camp but a week or two to start the season anyway. So, I'm, I mean, yeah, you're going to say that he'll do for 189 yards. He's going to throw for more yards this game. You know, he's going to play better this time than he did last time. And I'm telling you, it's personal. This is a playoff. This is in the week one of the season. Guys, you know, basically week one of the season, you know, guys were still in training camp when I played. So, you know, these, these, I mean, that, so that's, we can't compare week one to right now. I would say this, uh, some guys on the defensive side of the ball, some veteran guys are going to step up, Peppers, Clay Matthews, some of those guys are going to have to step up and make some big plays, and they're going to have to make make slow Russell Wilson down and make it make him turn the ball over and do some things that he doesn't do and uncharacteristic does at home. But I'm just telling you, it's not going to be the same game as it was Week One. They know it's, it's when to go home, so I think the intensity level is going to be a little more, a little higher than what you think it is. And the fact that he's had another week and he didn't re-injure it last week. I don't think he re-injured it, then he's going to feel a little better moving around. But still, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, and I expect for them to make it a competitive game. I I, I totally disagree with you. I like Seattle big time in this game. I actually think Seattle's going to blow him out. Aaron Rodgers, okay, to me, I, I think he shot his load uh, last week against uh, the Dallas Cowboys, and it's totally different defense, totally different home field. you got the home field advantage with Seattle. I think we're going to see almost what we saw in Week One. I like Seattle big in this game. Let's let's go to let's go to uh, the Patriots and the, and the Colts in uh, Foxborough. Tom Brady, you know, big time performance last week against the Baltimore Ravens, a team that's had the Tom Brady and the Patriots number over the years in the playoffs. But Tom Brady and the Patriots came out. It was a slugfest. They went back and forth, but ultimately Brady and the Patriots got it done. Andrew Luck and the upstart. Uh, Indianapolis Colts coming to New England. Andrew Luck coming off a solid performance. I I like New England in this game. One thing about Andrew Luck, yes, he had a pretty good game against the Denver Broncos, but Andrew Luck is going to give you a couple. He may give you one or two interceptions. And and I think him doing that and the Patriots playing the way they're playing and Tom Brady, I just sense this guy is on a mission. I like the Patriots in this game. Your thoughts? Uh, I like the Patriots, but this is going to be a lot more competitive. I mean, uh, Indianapolis has to travel some type of running game, but if, if Andrew Luck doesn't turn the ball over and they get in the rhythm, they're tough. And and if you can put some pressure on Tom Brady, Tom Brady is, is human too. So it's gonna it's gonna come up to up front if they can put some pressure on Tom Brady, get him out of his rhythm, get him out of his comfort zone, then they'll have a chance. But that's a big if. Uh, I think this game is going to be, like I said, closer than you think it is. I think both of these games are going to be very good football games. And I do like that. I, I like Andrew Luck if they can establish some type of running game and if they can get out to Tom Brady somewhere. If you sit back there and they don't do nothing, get out to Tom Brady a little bit, it's going to be a long day. Now, Willie, I get the sense right now you're on the fence with both of these two games. So at the end of the day, on, on, on Sunday night, who will be going to Arizona uh, to represent the AFC and the NFC in the Super Bowl? Uh, 
Hello? You know what? I don't. I wouldn't just want to say two road teams. <laughs> um. Green Bay <laughs> and New England. Green Bay, New England. Okay. Okay. And with that being said, since you are taking the Green Bay Packers, I would love to bet a steak dinner that that's not going to happen, that the Green Bay Packers are not going to Seattle to beat the the Seattle Seahawks. Let's bet that. That's a bet. (laughs) Done. Done. It's not happening. It's not happening. Done. It's bet. A good steak dinner from a good steakhouse. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) We'll We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It should be a lot of fun this weekend, championship weekend in the National Football League. Willie, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. we got to talk about this next week. We'll talk about it, and I'm about to head over to see what LeBron did. I saw the Cavs. They played okay against the Lakers. They're still giving up too many points. The Lakers shot over 50%, gave up 60 points in the first half. They settled down the second half. Uh, your boy had back spasms and Kevin Love. So I'm going to see what they can do tonight on the back-to-back against the Clippers. So we'll see if they're uh, they're going to get better. But uh, they get sharper back in a couple of weeks. But me and the Memphis are going to have a date night. We're going to go check out the game. Okay. And I look at the Cavaliers, and you wonder, 500 after 40 games. I know LeBron's been out and so on and so forth. But is it really a championship team in Cleveland at this stage of the game? It should be interesting. I mean, a lot of basketball well, uh, You know what I, what I think? I think they're just trying to make the playoffs, and when they get everybody healthy in the playoffs, it doesn't matter what seed they are. I think that LeBron's thought process is, as long as we get in the playoffs, we got a nice seed, four or five seed, whatever. It doesn't matter. As long as we got all our guys healthy and we drill in that by the playoff time, when playoff time comes, he's going to be able to turn it up a notch. He's been there. He's done that. And I think that's kind of thought process of the team. They're not really worried about the regular season as much. It's just a matter of how, how well they're seated and who they face. But I think they think they got, some, they got a lot of good pieces to help them. I think they got a lot better with the Mascoff trade with J.R. JR uh, Smith plays good perimeter defense as long as he doesn't take too many shots. You got Shepard coming back. So I think they did get better. But the key is if they're gelling and if they're playing better by playoff time, and we'll see what happens. We'll see. Willie, pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Willie Rofe, Hall of Famer. We'll see what happens championship weekend. We're going to bring in a guy now, D-League Showcase underway. We're going to talk to Orlando Johnson. Let's bring him in now, guard for the Austin Spurs, Orlando Johnson. Orlando, how are you, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. No problem, man. Thank you for having me. Now, Orlando, you got the D-League Showcase coming up, man. This is a great opportunity for you to get noticed by scouts and GMs and coaches around the league. How do you approach this showcase? Uh, you know, I just approach it, you know, how I normally do for a game. You know, I don't want to put too much pressure on myself. You know, I know uh, what I have to do, and I know uh, how I have to play to, you know, be uh, a factor and, and be a factor in the league because uh, I know what it takes to, to be in the league and, um uh, you know, I just want to go out there and show my complete game, show how much better I've got and uh, how I can help a team uh, in the future. Now, why do you feel like at this point in time you're not in the NBA and you are in the D-League at this point? Uh, you know, I think uh, 
really about opportunity, you know. It's about opportunity. And, um, you get a chance to really show what you can do, you know. Uh, I think I was I was definitely blessed to be in Indiana, and I had, you know, brief uh, opportunities there. And when I got in, I, I did what I could, but, you know, apparently it was not enough for me to, you know, get a contract. Uh, and that's okay. You know, I, I like this road that I'm on right now. I think it's helping me find myself and uh, work on things that I need to work on so I can be where I want to be and uh, have a long career doing it. Now, your brief stint in Indiana, what what did you learn from your time in the NBA? Uh, I learned a lot, man. I learned really what it takes to be a good team, what it become a great player, you know, because I got a chance to work with, you know, Paul George, uh, Lance, Danny, Granger, um, George Hill, like guys, you know, in my position. And also David West was a big mentor for me while I was there. And, you know, guys who just showed me the ropes of what it takes to be a winner in the league and how you stick in the league. And uh, those things that I still, you know, uh, traits and uh, characteristics that I carry with, carry with me today, you know, uh, and it helped really develop my game and my mental um, to where I could play at that level. So, you know, Indiana is definitely, you know, somewhere I'm going to always remember and uh, always share because he taught me the, the right way to play basketball. We're talking to Austin Spurs guard Orlando Johnson. Orlando, right now you're averaging 15 points per game for the Austin Spurs of the D-League. Talk about your play to this point. <clears throat> I think it's been really good. You know, I've been showing uh, um, how efficient I am, you know, um, you know, I know I can go out there and, uh, you know, probably, you know, be one of the leading scorers in the league, but I know that's not what it's going to take for me to be back in the NBA. You know, um, I want to show my complete package where I can shoot it. I'm guarding the team's best defender every night. Um, you know, I'm, I'm making the right plays, you know, just showing that um, if, you know, and when, if that happens, I get a call up that I can play in the system. I know my role. And I can fill a role whatever they need. You know, if they need somebody to defend the opposing player who's got it going, that's me. If they need somebody to come in and make a big shot, that's me. Like, you know, I just feel like I'm I'm ready for a lot of different roles. And uh, I think, you know, being um, able to play with the Austin Spurs and their organization has helped me out tremendously and it's going to benefit my career in the long run. Now, I, I know you said there were things that you possibly needed to work on in order uh, to get back into the NBA, what are those things that you feel like you need to work on in order to get back into the league? Uh, for me, I think uh, it was just uh, being better off the ball. Uh, okay. That was one thing that you know, uh, you know, kind of you know, was a knock on me. It was just you know, I kind of just I would get the ball and I would hold it and stuff like that. And that's just not you know my game. And I was, it was kind of like I was just waiting instead of being in attack mode. How I've always been. And I think that's something I, I got back to playing uh, for the Spurs is that, you know, they let you play your game and they let you do it with inside of a structure. And it's, it's just they're big on ball movement. And that's, you know, that's how you're supposed to play the game, you know, if you, especially if you want to win because it's really hard, you know, trying to go one-on-one and one-on-five, you know, because there's big guys down there and it's, it's tough to score. We're talking to Orlando Johnson, guard for the Austin Spurs of the D-League. And I, I know you said you feel like you could average more points in the D-League, but I want to ask you this. you got the showcase coming up. How do you – I mean, everybody, when, when scouts are looking, when the GMs are looking, oh, yeah. everybody, everybody wants to, to 
Yeah. Everybody, yeah, mm-hmm. everybody wants to impress, and everybody wants to score, and everybody yeah. wants to show out. Mm-hmm. How do you avoid yeah. pressing? How do you avoid, uh, you know, going outside you of yourself? I, uh, I think that's the thing that's helped me out the most is that, you know, having our staff on the stairs is just being big on me that, you know, play your game. You know, uh, you don't have to force anything. You don't have to press anything. Just, you know, do what you do. You're a complete player. You know, this is the thing you, you know, my coaches really believe in their life. You know, you can do more than just score. And I think I used to put so much pressure on myself about, oh, I need to score, I need to score. Because in college, that's what I was. It was uh, a big-time score. And, um, you know, I just felt like, you know, they just didn't get a chance to see all of my game. You know, that I can defend, that I can create for others, that I, you know, am very unselfish. But, you know, these are things that, you know, I feel like I'm being able to show, kind of discouraged, and, you know, my teammates have been doing a good job in embracing me and um, welcome me to open arms ever since I've been able to be acquired by them. Now, you spent time overseas in Spain, and you lasted there for about six games. What happened overseas with you? Uh, man, I just wasn't, this wasn't my um, thing, really. I, I went over there. I wasn't really, you know, uh, I just feel like I was letting my myself down because I I, I believe I'm an NBA player and um, you know I just wasn't happy you know uh, we had some family stuff that was going down I, I just felt bad I couldn't be here at the time but you know um, the team and myself both mutually agreed to part ways and uh, I think it just worked out better for you know both parties because they knew my mindset was still on the NBA and. Uh, that I want to be here. I want to be back in uh, the state. And that's where you know, the whole mindset was. And I just wanted to keep you know, proving to myself that I am in the play and I was going to work and do whatever it took. So, you know, that meant being in the D League. And uh, that's what I was going to do. Now, would you be open to returning overseas if another opportunity would exist? Uh, you know, it's the right opportunity, but, you know, I'm so focused on what I have to do right now to get back to NBA that I'm not really uh, too worried about that right now. I'm just all uh, all in right now and uh, getting back to where I believe I belong. We're talking to Orlando Johnson, guard for the Austin Spurs of the D-League. D-League showcase coming up, and it should be an exciting time for a lot of players in the D-League. Let me ask you this, man. You had a tough road. I mean, your, your mom was murdered when you were about one years old. You lost your grandma when you were 11. Ultimately, you were raised by your brothers. Talk about your story, and let me ask you: Did you ever think you would make it to the age of twenty-five? Man, you know, uh, coming up from you know where I'm from, uh, a lot of people you know didn't get a chance to you know see twenty-five. So, um, you know, I'm just very blessed for the uh, the supporting cast and the family that I have because uh, they sacrificed so much, you know, just to give me the opportunity to to grow, to be a man, and, um, you know, I can't thank them enough, and, you know, my my, my story is, uh, I mean, I know a lot of people have stories, but mine is, uh, is, uh, it's tough, you know, I, I went through so much at an early age, and, um, uh, tough for people to bounce back, uh, seeing, seeing stuff like that, and, you know, going through, um, those, uh, I, I mean, obstacles, and uh, like I said, my brothers and my uncles and cousins, like it wasn't, you know, they, we had a big supporting cast, you know, 
It helped because they just they all wanted to see see me succeed. They knew I was very gifted, and, and you know they pushed me. You know they never let me get away with anything. And, you know my brothers being a little older than me, they had kids uh, when I was you know, pretty young, so I had to be a mentor to, to them as you know my brothers were right. to me. So for me, it was about you know making sure that I always you know stay focused on what I wanted to do, and my brothers made sure that you know. In basketball or whatever, you know, if I wanted to, you know, uh, be a lawyer or a police officer or anything, you know, that I was going to give it my all and that, you know, never um, just cut it, you know, taking shortcuts when it came to that. So I always just made sure I put my best foot forward and my family always made sure I put my best foot forward. And it takes a village, and you were a part of a village that helped you get to where you're at today, and you know, you're a testament to that. So, you know, keep pushing, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, uh, Orlando, you. you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with Orlando Johnson on Twitter? Orlando V. Johnson is my uh, Twitter handle. Okay. All right, so fans, make sure you check uh, check him out on Twitter, at Orlando V. Johnson, and support all the great things going on with Orlando Johnson. Are we going to see you back in the league this year? Yes, sir, you will. You will, hopefully, uh, in the next few weeks or so. Okay. All right. Are, are you hearing any type of rumblings? Is there anything going no, I'm on? Hearing some, I'm hearing. I'm hearing rumblings. I'm hearing rumblings, but I'm ready to, you know, sign the dotted line. You know, that's what I want to do. I'm, right. I'm enough with the rumblings. I'm ready to get this thing going. <laughs> Sounds good, Orlando. Pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing man, but the best you. luck during the D League showcase, and let's do this again. Orlando Johnson, Austin Spurs D League. We wish you nothing. Orlando, nothing but the best of luck moving forward. I want to thank Orlando Johnson. I want to thank Willie Rofe as well. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash PGN, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItGan, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Also, hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash GoForItGan. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy Championship Weekend. Enjoy Martin Luther King Weekend. See you later. Take care. 